Welcome into the Solar Insights Podcast. My name is Eric Starr. We got Evan Sidery here from the Locked On Suns podcast, as well as Bright Side of the Sun. How are you doing, Evan? Doing good, Eric. How about yourself? Fantastic. It's a wonderful day. Uh, we had some interesting basketball going on with the Suns the other day with their uh, win over the Thunder. I think it was a 14-point win, which is pretty incredible. Well, first of all, what did you think of that game? Uh, I was there, and seeing that in person, me and Dave King, we both we run Bright Side of the Sun, and we, we were talking before the game about how we thought this would be a blowout game for the Thunder. I mean, the Suns have been keeping it close with teams like Philadelphia, but they pull away in the fourth quarter, and also they've had good games against other teams as well. But with how Oklahoma State has been rolling as of late, I really didn't expect them to pull out a 14-point victory, especially in the fourth quarter. They barely even had to play Devin Booker and TJ Warren. They relied on Dragon Bender and Josh Jackson. So we saw the Dragon Bender game, the Josh Jackson game, and really all these guys coming together all in the same game to knock off the big three Oklahoma City has. So I definitely wasn't expecting that at all. Yeah, you, you, you can't expect it. You're a reasonable writer. Person. I, mean, you, I would not expect that either. It's It's... They, they have three all-stars and, I mean, two of them are MVP type most years. And we're not talking that Paul George is going to win it, but it's, he's in the conversation of a very, very good player, an elite player, as some people call. It depends on your, your, um, how you would term elite, but there's just no reason to believe that they would win that since the Suns have no all-stars and haven't since Steve Nash, 2010, nine, something like that. Um, so it's really, Interesting that they won by that much. It shows to the growth of the young guys. Uh, what did you see from Josh Jackson and Bender specifically? Now, with Josh Jackson, I'll start with him first. I'm probably the biggest Josh Jackson supporter as far as anyone you'll talk to, like Callan, Dave Kang, all the guys, like Gerald. As far as all those guys, I'm probably the biggest Josh Jackson fan of all of them because I feel like if he hits his potential, I feel like he's the best two-way option and really winging this draft. I know Jason Tatum has had a good start so far in the first half, but we saw it last night. I mean, 17 points, 5 assists, 10 rebounds, 7 of 19 from the field. He shot a couple late that kind of knocked off his efficiency a little bit. But an insane plus-minus of plus 34. I mean, he shows the impact he can bring, maybe not as the top scorer and all, but he really fills the box scores, and he's a perfect complement alongside Booker. I mean, probably he's the guy I'm watching for most in the second half of the season because we haven't seen this at all from Jackson in the first really few months of the season, but over his last three games, Ever since that DMP, that Triano game, he's really been picking it up. And with Bender as well, I mean, the shooting stroke with him has come a long way, a very long way over the past couple months. I mean, in the training camp when I saw him up in Flagstaff, he had a very s- slow shot. It was really – the arc was pretty flat, and now it's getting really better. I asked G. Triano about that after the game, and he said that the, they've actually been working on it a lot team-wise as far as shooting goes over practices. They've been doing a lot more as far as they were under Earl Watson. and. With Bender, looking at his stats as well, 20 points, 3 blocks, 1 steal, 4 assists, 6 rebounds on 6 of 8 3-pointers. For a guy at 7-1 to do that, it's pretty impressive. And it really shows with Bender, Jackson, even Marquise Chris when he was playing too. If all those three guys click and they can sink along because that Booker, the Suns have a really bright future. Yeah, for sure. I am with you on the Josh Jackson. I was on all my podcasts and this college ones. I'm like, I was a, I was hoping to get Josh Jackson. I mean, of course, we were kind of hoping to get Fultz, but... Uh, Josh Jackson was my the next person I really wanted them to get, which is when they fall in the draft, which they seem to do every single year. Uh, then getting him, at, I think, at the four, yeah, at four, was incredible. It's just it's crazy because he's so good, and I've always been thinking, give him two years, give him two years, he will be really good. <laughs> I mean, once he gets the the muscle and the strength that he needs, as Eddie Johnson talks about, not the not the weight, the strength. 
um, to push people to, he already has the, he can get on transition. He can play, play make a transition more than I thought. And, uh, and with, uh, Paola Bovin I had on last week, and um, we're talking about how he is, he doesn't have the temper that you, we thought he has, these problems that were, uh, arose when he was getting drafted. Like, hmm, is he gonna be too passionate? I'm like, Chris and Booker are more passionate in the sense of getting texts and really being too out there with it. He f- fuels the passion correctly. And he has that as a, as a impact basketball certified person about shot releases. He drives me crazy with his hitch and his shot. Drives me crazy, but that'll smooth out over this off season or two off seasons and he'll be an average shooter. Yeah, I know. As far as the NBA draft survey goes, they released that in the summer and I believe seven NBA GMs, I think it was around 25% said that Josh Jackson in five years down the line will be the best prospect out of this draft. And I agree with them as well. I mean, You've seen guys like Tatum, that immediate impact guys. We saw that coming with those guys. I mean, they're top flight scorers. They can easily translate. But with Jackson, like you said, he's only 205 pounds soaking wet probably. Right now he's more of a, he's more of a shooting guard, so to say. Like you said, that frame, he needs to add about 20, maybe not pounds or so, but at least build significant muscle mass, so almost like semi-ogile, so to say. I feel like if he can do something like that and really build out that frame, he's going to be a monster on both ends. I'm, I'm very high on Josh Jackson. I feel like, Give him two years, like you said, the 2020 deadline for the timeline, as Robert Sarver's mentioned multiple times, the season takeholders at events before, and also McDonough's brought up the 2020 deadline as well. That's when his extension ends as well. But with Josh Jackson, I feel like give him two years, like you mentioned, Eric, and I feel like he will be the perfect number two option alongside Devin Booker. Uh, for Bender, um, I thought I mean, his shot was so flat before. For someone who's so tall, you maybe think it, it could end up being flat. You can kind of assume why it's flat because he's always been shoot, not having to shoot over people. And he's been quicker. The one thing I've noticed with him lately is he's becoming way more decisive, which is something that Alex Lynn also had to work on and that he's obviously better, but, um, he's been better at it as well. But Bender really just decisiveness. I mean, that one he did where he was playing against Carmelo and he said, you can't guard me. He was impressive. I mean, that's one thing I want to see from him or I can't wait to see where he's progressed. If he's on the ball or his, uh, his dribbling as, as he drives next year. After he's put on the mass that he needs to to play the four the, and maybe the five significantly more, um, so that's going to be really interesting to see from him. What do you think about Chris? Because I like I've heard some people are high on him. I'm not as much as high on as most people. He's fine. I just mm, what do you think? I'm actually higher on Chris. I mean, not to the sense of Jackson or Booker, but with Chris and Bender, I think they're pretty even right now at the moment. Bender obviously offers the defensive versatility. I mean, he showed last night with three blocks and a steal in 39 minutes, but when Marquise Chris is active and he's the third option on offense, like we saw the last three games, and even might have been last night if he didn't get hurt with his hip injury, but he's he's I think he's put up at least 10 or so shots three straight games now, and that's never happened in his career. And when he stays out of foul trouble, when he's engaged on both ends, you can tell he's, he's a prospect. I mean, he's very raw. He's only been playing basketball it's crazy to say he's been playing basketball for about six, seven years now, but that's the case with Marquise. But, but he's a super raw prospect. The intangibles are there. He can he can put up good passing numbers. He's a very good defender when locked in, as mentioned, and he's a three-point shooter. This is a really doing a unique situation here as far as trying to construct a roster like this, but I don't think I've ever seen a roster as far as guys like 6'10 and above that can maybe average three or four shot attempts from beyond the arc a game. I think that, that could happen next year with these two. And I think we have to see it in, in the second half of the season as well, but with Bender and Chris, we need to start seeing them at four and five together, and I'll feel a lot more comfortable with them about them together on the Suns roster. But I like what I've seen so far on Marquise over the past week. But before that, he looked very, very mediocre. But 
hopefully since Devin Booker's return, it feels like all these guys have gotten sparks of energy since his return. So hopefully it continues. Yeah, they were definitely, uh, it was like a, just, it was rough when you don't, you lose your number one option and by far your best player, um, to injury for a couple of weeks and getting him back injects them because they, they have, they went through the trials of having, being a foul booker and then they learned some stuff. They learned some toughness. They learned some, some grit and then he comes back and it makes everything easier for them, uh, in that entire sense. Um, what do you think about Warren's place on the team in the near future? Um, Right now, I feel like Warren is a very good number two option with how young this roster is. He, I, I believe he's 24, and like we said, Chris and Bender Jackson, they're all 20 right now. Booker's only 21. So he fits really well currently with this team, but I'm probably going to talk about it more often as we get closer to the offseason. But I feel like TJ, with his new extension, is probably the most valuable asset the Suns are going to have this summer if they're going to make any sort of trade for a point guard or a big man if they don't draft one because – I don't think they're going to let go of Bender or Chris unless they get a big name back. And even with Josh Jackson, they're not going to move either of those guys unless they get like an Anthony Davis or one of those big names, so to say. But I feel like TJ Warren, he is a viable six-man option if Jackson develops into it. But right now, I mean, he's showing right now 23 points a game over his last 15 games. And I think he's had 16 or 17 straight games with 13 points or above. So he's showing the consistency. And I feel like if they build the second unit around him correctly – he could be a very good six-man option, possibly six-man of the year down the line. I definitely agree with that. I think that uh, he should be six-man as opposed to stay, staying as a starter. Um, some people are super super Jackson, super Warren as the three there. What do you think? Um, I feel like that would, I could only work together as far as Warren and Jackson on the floor if Booker's at point guard. We saw it last night, and it looked very good, honestly. I mean, Booker, Jackson, and Bender, those three guys, they're plus ball movers and a guy like TJ, who's very good at cutting to the rim, you saw he had a lot more open space, a lot more spacing, and that, that could help him going forward. But as far as Warren and Jackson playing together, I mean, we saw with Earl in the first part of the season, that power forward and small forward, I don't like that fit at all. And really with those two, the fit, as far as on-court, is kind of skeptical for me without Booker. So I really don't see how it could work long-term unless Booker continues to take these leaps forward. What Definitely, do you think? I think more um, at the small forward position, Booker, I mean, uh, Warren or... Jackson, which one, which side are you on as a starter? Oh, Josh Jackson for sure. I got right now. I feel like it's TJ Warren, but give it an offseason, definitely Josh Jackson. Yeah, that's. I think that I think we're talking in terms of ideal fit. Josh Jackson is the one who should be the starting small forward until Josh Jackson doesn't have as many rookie um, or mistakes that Warren doesn't make as much of. Um, he's going to. Uh, Stay as a starter. I mean, he's just a better player right now, but it's not going to take long for Josh's defensive prowess to help more than Warren's amazing cutting ability. Like I keep saying, it's the best I've seen since Wade. Um, the question is, well, actually, to one thing we said before, uh, Marquise Chris, I hope he's never the third option on my, on the team. <laughs> I hope he's fourth, fifth. I, yeah, I don't want him being the number three option on any team as far as I can see, but he's fine. Um, what was the other thing about Josh Jackson? Anyway, well, th- they're both really good players and we'll see what, see what happens with them. Oh yeah. Are you, do you think Warren's three point or his defense will be better first? Which one's going to be better first? I feel like right now it has to be the defense because we're starting to actually see the flash of him improving on defense. He's a lot more engaged on ball. He's getting a lot better as far as getting in the passing lanes, getting those steals, getting a lot better at blocking shots. I feel like right now we mentioned it just a minute ago with TJ and Jackson as far as their fit together. Neither of those guys can shoot the three consistently, if at all. TJ's shooting 15% right now from the three-point range, which is awful. And 
and Josh is shooting around like 20% too, which is awful as well. So you have to really pick one of those guys to start off with. And I feel like TJ is probably the guy that's going to be developing more on defense, while Josh is probably the guy that's going to be more developing on the shot. That's probably how I see it with the Suns going. Yeah, I mean, Warren, though, and his defense, like you say, I guess he's getting a little better there, but it's really the um, pick-and-roll defense. He lo- loses on every pick, and anybody, any, almost anybody can juke him out of position. <laughs> it just drives me crazy. But he'll be – he'll be, and I, don't, I just don't know if, his, if Warren's defense or his three-point shot will make it to the correct levels in time for him to be uh, more than what he is already. I think his role is definitely, like how, how we've mentioned, he's a microwave scorer. I mean, we mentioned it. Booker and Warren, I know, I'm going to ask you this question as well. I feel like when we see them out there together, I feel like they're taking turns as far as here, TJ, you go get a possession. Book, you go take a possession. Do you see that as far as them out there together with Josh Jackson? Because I feel like when Jackson's out there more, the ball is moving more freely. Yeah, I mean, they're, I'm not, I don't see it. I don't, when I guess maybe I'm not thinking about it correctly, but I don't see them really like taking turns. I think Warren is more of a, um, hey, we'll run you that pull, that, that, uh, curl screen for a, basically a free throw jump shot, or Booker's gonna go get his and you go, you go rebound and, and do all your cutting. I don't know if I'm seeing them take shots. I mean, maybe they alternate a little bit. With Jackson, with Jackson, like, I feel like, maybe it's just me, but I feel like they do kind of run plays for Jackson, try to get him those floaters that he likes. Have you seen, have you seen happen? I've seen a couple of times where he gets that baseline dunk on the right side, a drop off. It's great. Yeah. I mean, I've noticed, I've looked at the advanced numbers and tracking numbers on Jackson over the past week since they've really started incorporating more in the offense. He's definitely gotten the most touches he's ever received in a three or four game span over this last three or four. So I think they're starting to realize that he's a lot better as playmaking goes because he led the team last night, tied for the lead, with five assists alongside Tyler Eulis. So, And as McDonough mentioned at the pre-draft, he is probably the best passing wing that they've seen in the draft over the past couple of years. So I think get Jackson more involved, and I feel like Triano's starting to utilize Jackson more as how he should be. Yeah, I mean, Jackson is definitely going to surpass what the floor was for him, which was Andre Roberson. Um, I mean, that was... That is a possible floor that he had when he entered the league, and he's going to be past that for sure. His passing is just too good, and his shot is going to be able to be smoothed out in a year or two, and he's going to be, like, I don't know, let me guess here. His jump shot is going to be, what, 40% twos and maybe 32 33% threes maybe by for his career? Yeah, I feel like, honestly, with Jackson and even including Bender and Chris in here, if you can get three or four guys in this roster alongside Booker to hit 30% from threes, that's huge for him as far as Booker goes with spacing. I feel like that's going to really open up the offense for even Booker and the rest of the guys in the near future if they can develop that way. Yes, definitely. Uh, was it you? I think, I think it was you that wrote about, um, that wrote about Booker and his potential hardened ceiling. Yeah, I wrote that a couple days ago. Yeah, tell us a little bit about that because I was seeing some of it, what you're talking about when I've been watching the games when I saw that. I was like, yeah, just talk about that for a second. Yeah, I know, I ran some numbers. I know Kevin O'Connor at the Ringer wrote an awesome article on it over about a couple days before I did, but James Harden is a guy that I'm starting to really realize is maybe the comparison for Booker because looking at the synergy numbers and the advanced numbers, Book's averaging about eight possessions per game, the PNR career spanning over his last three years, which puts him alongside names such as Damian Lillard, James Harden, Kemba Walker, Russell Westbrook, and now DeMar DeRozan is also taking that leap. So all those guys, as I mentioned, are all ball dominant. So I can't really foretell a future where Booker is the guy like Clay, where he's going to be running off screens all the time and 
doing all that because I feel like he's a lot more advanced than Clay. He's showing that he's one of the better passing passing guards already in the league at this season. And he's already showing as far as his free throw line, his free throw rate percentage. He's already number seven right now in the NBA behind Harden, DeRozan, Jimmy Butler, Lou Williams, Ben Simmons, Lillard, and that's it. And really over the last 20 or so games, he ranks closer to the top five in that list. So I mean, those two things. Yeah. I think you're also the one who tweeted out that uh, the only people averaging seven, uh, seven threes and seven uh, free throw attempts per game was Harden and Booker, right? Yeah, correct. It really shows like those two, those two and three numbers right there that Book is more closer to the Harden prototype than we realize because those guys just don't grow on trees like that. I mean, those are elite guards. Those are the ones that you build around and you put the ball in their hand every single possession, like how Daryl Morey did in Houston. I mean, they took a couple of years, but once they realized that Harden was advanced as a passer, advanced as a scorer, and he could score efficiently from all three levels, like Booker can at the age of 21 already, you put it, you build around the roster with shooters like Houston did, and you really try to make a meteoric rise to the top because I feel like with how this roster is set up, they could do that over the next couple of years, but they have to do this offseason exactly right because I feel like this 2018 summer is probably going to be the most important one the Suns have had in years. Yeah, that's going to be our last topic. That's going to be really interesting. But first I want to do something we've talked about. Um, well, one thing to, to transition us there, I think that Booker and Clay is interesting because he was, I mean, at first it was like, hey, maybe he becomes JJ Reddick is what I said. Then like, well, movie's a little better than that. Maybe it becomes Clay. Uh, but Booker right now is a better, I think a better passer and a better driver than Clay already at six or seven years younger, maybe five years younger. And, uh, but Clay's defense is, is and probably always will be a little bit better. But I think it's definitely a closer comparison than we thought. And then I like what you're talking about with the Harden comparisons. Although, is Booker, who's a better defender, Booker or Harden? That's a quick, interesting question. As far as what category? Or defense? Oh, de- oh, definitely. I feel like it's Booker at this stage, to be honest. I mean, Harden was terrible at the age of 21 as defense. And now Booker's terrible as well, still. So they really can't, say it's a close contest right now, but Booker's starting to show over his last few or so months that he can really get in the passing lanes. He's averaging almost a steal a game. So I'll take the risk and say Book is probably the better defender, but yeah, I'll, I'll go with Booker. Because yeah, I, feel I like think Harden- he could be too, although, I mean, I've, I guess it's kind of a speculation maybe. <laughs> Who knows if Booker will be at Harden levels. I mean, I think I'm looking at this right. Is Harden averaging 32.3 points per game? That's ridiculous. That that is correct. Yep. But the thing is with Booker though, he's averaging almost twenty seven points a game, and those guys around him, outside of Giannis and Embiid, and the two other franchise types, are going to be running the league in a couple years. I'm looking at Booker, and it looks like twenty four point nine points per game. But he's definitely. I mean, he's tied with uh, looks like uh, DeRozan, Westbrook, and Lillard, or something like that. Yeah, I, I think over his last twenty or twenty five games, he's closer to like twenty seven, twenty eight. Yeah, but higher. I, I don't yeah, he's yeah, he's definitely as far as like his jump is going. I didn't foretell this jump coming at all, but with you, I mean, I can toss it back to you on this as well because I'm curious on your answer. Did you see Booker taking this leap in his third year? Because I didn't, I saw like a leap coming, but I didn't expect a superstar leap, so to say, this early. Uh, I mean, if he ends up at 27, 28, it wasn't seeing that. I was seeing a 25, 26 points per game leap this year around there. I wasn't seeing it quite as far but i i saw something i think i don't know if that's too much to say but i think i saw something coming i didn't see this much of a defensive leap that fast 
but just the leadership and stuff and it's his team and some I saw some really encouraging things from him. If he can keep up the defense, um, increase his assists per game, it's going to be fine. So to continue to what we're talking about, the All Star game is coming up. I was looking at the rules on how how they're selected. It's going to be a different format this year. We got a little bit of a. I really hope they televise the draft, which they're probably not going to. But the question is, how does Devin Booker get in the All Star game? What are your initial thoughts? And then we'll go through the names. I feel like I think I think the voting ends January 14th or 15th, right? Because I feel like after that Pacers game is when the voting officially ends. But I think he's going to have to do something or these next three or so games, maybe put up like a 40, like a couple 40 consecutive point games or a 50 point game. He's going to have to draw some attention to himself because right now I know he has to respect the coaches. I know Mike Boone has brought that up as well. Like coaches know how good bookers are, right? He's not, it's not a surprise to everyone, but as far as the fans and the, even the players too, I mean, it's going to be pretty hard to get in over Damian Lord, I think, because he's been snubbed every time. But with the scoring numbers he's putting up and how he's doing, I think he needs to do at least one or possibly two big games or next week or so to get in. What do you well, think? Based on that, then he has a really good shot because based on the rules, the, the fans are 50, uh, 50%, then the players are 25%, and the media, select media is 25% of the starters, and then the coaches select the rest, the other 14 players. So it's, I mean, Booker was never getting in as the one or two. So the question is, the coaches can pick him. So the, when I did the preliminary stuff a couple of weeks ago, I'm thinking who who could get in. Um, I think we, I think the contenders are Steph, Clay, Lillard. Um, uh, let's see here, Harden, and who else do I have? I think that, I think that's it. The other contenders to go with him in the top, in the, in there. And from what I'm seeing in the rules, there's between four and six spots for guards in the West. Um, do you think, okay, what do you think about those, those names first? I feel like Boke won't get in over any of those. The, the curious thing I'm, I'm wondering is if Paul George and Jimmy Butler are as guards or wings, because I think those can make big differences. If, if George and Butler are, are ranked as guards, I think there's, I don't think they can get in, but, George George will not be George will not be a guard. I mean, he's six foot ten. There's no way he's a guard. Um, and I don't think he. I mean, I don't think he's ever played shooting guard really. Um, if I can, I mean, from his time in Indiana, really. And then Jimmy Butler is a little bit interesting, but I think also sense. Uh, well, actually, we can, we can. I don't remember if I voted, but when I when I voted for him, I think that Jimmy Butler might have been a been a been a. He might have been a guard too, but he should. I mean, he shouldn't be. He's a small forward, but. Uh, six foot eight or six foot nine, and he's he's a small forward. But yes, of course, if if they're there, they're both ahead of Booker in terms of their impact on the game. Um, so I think that so I think Jimmy Butler is. We'll just we'll just eliminate Paul George from this conversation, just because, even though I love Paul George, but uh, he's one of my favorite players. But we'll eliminate him from this conversation. Have Jimmy Butler be the sixth person. Let's um, take into into it Steph Curry and Clay. Steph has played pretty well. He's going to go on fire here. He's going crazy. But do you, I mean, do you think Booker has any chance to get in over Steph? No, no, zero chance. Not think a, so. I don't think. Yeah. And Harden either. Or do, you think, do you think Harden's going to miss enough time? Do you think he might miss too much time that he can't play? Um, I feel, I feel like it really depends on his, how his rehab goes. I feel like he could be back. I think the timetable on him returning is next week or maybe the week after. So I think he'll probably get in as well. I mean, with the fan vote, I think he's top five as well. And I know the coaches and everything with the players, there's no way he gets out either, I don't think. Him and Steph, I think, are 
total locks. I think I think they're total locks, but the question, I guess, is if there's an injury reserve, can Booker get in as an injury reserve if he can't play the game? Oh, sure. So there's for sure, so, there, yeah. so then if it doesn't eliminates him from its potential consideration, Harden would obviously get the nod just like Kobe used to when he was injured and other people like that. That's okay. What about Clay? Because I think Clay is more interesting because Clay's fine and he's not like bad, but I think Booker's playing and has better stats than Clay. No, for sure. If I if I was running the All Star game, I'd pick Booker over Clay because he's putting up a lot better numbers. Clay's obviously the better defender, like we mentioned, but Points per game, assists per game, rebounds per game, all the advanced numbers outside of true shooting. Booker's better at right now. Clay's 20, 28. I think Booker's 21. I mean, the age is there. Booker's number one option. Clay is the number two, number three option on his team. Uh, he'll, he'll, he'll get in. He'll get in. He'll get in on just the popular vote, obviously, but I think. Well, only if, two if, get in on popular vote. What'd you say? Only, I think only two get in on popular vote. Oh really? Okay, Unless, I didn't know that. Like, it sounds like the the the, the fans slash media slash that pick the starters and the coaches pick the rest. Oh, okay. Well, as far as that, then I I would definitely pick Booker over Clay. And what about uh, Lillard? Um, Lillard's a tough one because he's been snubbed every every year he's been up for it. So I feel like I, I'd probably give him the nod just because it's his time, but. Right now, I would definitely take Booker over Lillard too. I feel like Booker right now, out west, if you, if you did throw Jimmy Butler into the discussion as a shooting guard, I think he's easily number two, number three as far as top shooting guards in the West right now. And um, there isn't too many great shooting guards in the East, so he may be one of the best, better shooting guards in the league. There's a couple. Um, what about um, Westbrook? Because Westbrook's having a much down year at okay considering his ridiculous triple-double average year, but he's worse this year. Um, I, I think Westbrook still gets an all-star now with the triple-doubles just because he's still playing up those insane numbers, obviously on insane usage too. But with him, without Westbrook, I don't think that team is anywhere near how they are. I mean, if you had a duo of George and Melo, I don't think that really pushes you over the top or anything. Probably worse than how they are now. But with Westbrook, he was the MVP last year. And right now, I think he's still better than Booker, obviously. So I'd, de- I'd definitely take Westbrook in. I think he's a solid guy to get into. Okay. And then who was the other one I mentioned? Let's see. I think that was, I think that was it. So basically, if it's, it looks to me, um, the, the, uh, the coaches can pick between, there's, say there's seven, seven extra spots, seven reserve spots on each, uh, team. So seven spots in the East or in the, in the West. And, uh, so therefore, three of them are for sure for the, uh, for the front court, so we're gonna get rid of those. There's between then, um, so let's assume that Steph and Harden are the all-star starters that the fans and etc. pick. That means there is between either uh, two and four other spots for the guards. Um, we'll say Westbrook gets one, and therefore it's between Booker and Clay and Lillard for the other one to three spots. So. And then it depends on, if, of course, Jimmy Butler what what he is. But I think I think he should be a he should be a soft forward in my position. But anyway, so Booker he has to either edge out Clay or edge out a Lillard or all three of them get in, depending on if the if the coaches want that to to work out. What do you think? Now let's say hypothetically that it only ends up two, so only one can get in. I feel like if I was if I was in the running of doing that, it would go. Dame is in, and then Book has the last spot, and then Clay is out. Because I feel like 
those those two guys are the most productive guards, and Clay obviously is going to, like we've said, is going to get in with a with a fan vote, popular vote, but he, I think he definitely isn't deserving over guys like Dame and especially Booker this year. Yeah, I think almost rightfully so. Clay um, loses a this kind of not, not, notoriety, I guess, in a, in a good sense, because he plays with so many all stars and plays on such a good team. If he was by himself, if he was on Dallas without instead of Harrison Barnes or something, he would be an all star because he'd be playing with a higher usage and playing well and doing better, and he might get in, but he's not, so it's fine. But and he's also had he's already already been an all star a couple times. Now I tweeted this out a couple a while ago, and I'm saying that people, some some voters, some fans, coaches, media might say, hey, Booker is only 21; he's got plenty of time to get in. And I think that's a bad reason to leave him out this year. What do you think? Um, I mean, it, they're true in a sense, but I, I agree with you as well. It's not really a good logic to use because the numbers prove that Booker is having one of the best years for a 21-year-old over the last 20 years. And you really can't deny what he's doing right now because if you look at the numbers as far as 21-year-old shooting guards that put up 24-4-4, and every single one of those guys between Jordan, T-Mac, and I forget the other name, but every single one of those guys did the first time at age 21, they were all-stars. So if Booker, does, if Booker is left out of the all-star game, he's going to be really a historical snub. And that's kind of sad to say at this point because he really shouldn't be. But I, I don't like the logic as far as keeping him out of the game because he's just 21 years old. Yeah, I, I agree. What do you think about the uh, – I think this is usually more of a better argument for MVP and other uh, end-of-year awards. But he was injured for a little bit, and also he plays for a quote-unquote bad team. What do you think about those logic in terms of all-star bid? Oh, for sure. The wins and losses is going to be a ton. Books mentioned this a couple times to the media that wins and losses definitely is going to factor into his all-star game. He definitely love to be in there. But when it comes down to it, I think that's going to be the main deciding factor between how Clay gets in over him is the wins. The Warriors right now are the far and away the best team in the league. They have been in the past five years or so. And Booker on the Suns right now is a bottom, near the bottom of the Western Conference. So the wins and losses definitely is the number one factor. I think they're maybe the fifth worst in the Western Conference right now. It's kind of crazy. They're almost too good, which actually transitions to our next topic. Um, the Suns are, I think it's 16 and 26 right now. I think they've played the most games in the league and they have the hardest schedule going forward. Um, let's start first with the uh, generalities. What do you think about the, the rest of this team going to the end of the year in terms of just record who they're playing and kind of how this the the players are going to improve through the rest of the year. Um, really, for me, I think it's going to be pretty telling how they come out on Friday against Houston because after that game, they're going to have four days off. And if they if they come out again against Houston and they even without James Harden, they're just not going to play. But against a Chris Paul led Rockets team, if they're able to pull off a win or even stay close to them for most of the game, that's a pretty foretelling sign of how it's going to be for the Suns in the second half, even with the harder schedule. If guys like Chris Jackson and Bender start taking steps forward, albeit the schedule could get a little bit easier in that point because that means guys are taking steps forward and the development is there. So I think realistically this team is probably going to reach 30 wins. I, I, I thought they'd probably be around 25, 27 at first, but with the way Booker's leading this team and with the way we've seen Jackson and Bender and Chris over the past week take these little steps forward, maybe in bigger ones over the next couple of months, I think 30 wins is definitely not out of the question. And, I think the lowest they could go is, like I said earlier, 27, but I think definitely 30, 30, maybe 30 plus is what they're going to be. I mean, yeah, they already have 16 and <laughs> it's pretty, pretty, yeah, I, th- I think that's, I think that's around, around good. Um, cause it, it's just interesting because 
some people are saying, oh, they should they should go for the eighth seed, and some people are saying, oh no, they should try to suck more. I'm like, they have two players that are older than me, or three, because Monroe's barely older. But it's like they don't they can't do any more tinking <laughs> unless they sit all everybody unless they sit Booker even longer. They can't like, and the reason that they're getting better is because are they're, they're like we just mentioned, their younger players are playing well. That's what you want. You want them to grow. You want them to to experience this growth now. You don't need, I mean, yes, you want to add good players, but they already have seemingly everybody on rookie contracts. Not everybody, of course, but on these really good contracts, they have, they have no incentive to add another young player and just have another, not a culture of losing, but a culture of inexperience that's hard to recover from. You don't, you're not bad just to be bad. It's not a good strategy. So the question is really, um, do they make a trade of the deadline to, for George, for George Hill, for Kemba, for someone else? Um, I don't think it should be Dragic, but even though Dragic is awesome, um, what do you think in terms of trading to get better or staying pat and still being good? <laughs> I think if the Suns stay how they are over the next couple of weeks, just like middle of the pack, how they've been, then I think they're not going to make any sort of moves, but if for some reason, Hypothetically, let's say they go over 500 over those next 10 or so games. I think there's 17 games for the trade deadline. If they go over 500 during that stretch and stuff is stretching the month of January, then I think that they should make a move. I mean, Kemba Walker is right there for the taking at point guard. And I know there's a lot of opinions as far as Kemba and a Booker fit, but I think Kemba could be the guy that could ease the scoring punch off a of Booker. And if it goes that way, then I think they can make a deal with Charlotte. But if they stay how they are with how young this roster is, let Euless develop, let Devin Booker play more point guard. Like we've seen, he could be a possible James Harden guy if you get more time there. So if you let those guys grow together, then I think that makes more sense than making a move for Kemba because Kemba is anyways is a free agent, not this summer, but next summer. So giving up assets for Kemba at this point doesn't make much sense. But if they keep winning, I mean, it's not out of question. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, so what do you think about these potential, like a George Hill trade? I'm all for it. I mean, I know the Hill contract that looks pretty on the surface with 20 million better years, though, is barely guaranteed to get easy to get out of that contract after 20 which is when Dudley and Chandler and Troy Daniels are off the books, too. So the Suns are setting up well to have a lot of cap space in 2019. And making a move for George Hill doesn't really do much to actually George Hill's value is You might get George Hill here just Raymond Rowe, an expiring contract, and maybe just a later a later pick in advance. So I think George Hill, I think he's 6'3", and I, I saw what was in the end growing up alongside Paul George and Dave West and those guys. You put him at the second or third option. I mean, you know, I'm in the back like a Paul George, Devin Booker type of guy. He's a really good option. And right now he's shooting career three-point highs at 46%. So I'm all for the George Hill rolling the dice on that. What do you think? Um, I'm a, I am I would go with Paul George. And Kemba's interesting. I just looked it up. He's, Kemba's 27. And I'm not sure how much that fits. But, of course, you can – but you, you probably only trade for Kemba if you're going to re-sign him in a year and a half or whatever you said, like you said. So it's either would be all to be fine. I'm not, like I said, not Dragic really, even though that'll be interesting. That'd be funny. Um, since they bear the hatchet, as he said on uh, Zach Lowe's podcast, um, him and McDonough. But the question is then about the draft. If you, if you get, if you get George Hill or you get Kemba, you're probably going to make the playoffs. <laughs> if, if they do that deal early, I mean, early around the February, you're going to win some games. Um, because that, he's a good player. <laughs> They're, I mean, Kemba's an all-star most years. Um, and one of the, one of the last uh, guards there. And, uh, George Hill ha- has been a, has been an all-star, I believe. Um, isn't anymore, but he would be the perfect fit alongside this roster at the moment. 
So they would win some games. So then they'd, they'd fall to more of a end of lottery situation. And the question is, is that worth it? Or do you try to stay the course? Your good players play, your young players play well, and you're the seventh pick. And yet you don't have, you didn't pounce when you could have on a, on a deal. Uh, the question is, is there people in the draft that at seven, eight, nine, you could grab that would help you going forward? For sure. You could get Colin Sexton from Alabama. I'm a really big fan of him. He's the Alabama point guard. I saw him at Arizona. He scored 30 points, had a couple of assists. He, he's very good getting the free throw line. So that'd take a lot of space for Booker and then let him get a little more free. And then also guys like Mikhail Bridges of Villanova, Miles Bridges of Michigan State. They're versatile wings that you could put alongside either one of Jackson and Warren. They're better shooters than both of them. So they could help space the floor a little bit, but I think the the ideal situation is getting a top five pick. And with the assets, how McDonough set it up, I feel like a lot of people aren't talking about it. I know it's not something that happens often in the NBA, but moving up and trading like three or four of those first-round picks in the future for a top three, top five pick to capital this roster, I think could be in the cards if the lottery balls play how they do. But I think those 20, the 2021 Miami picks, the 2018 Miami picks, you don't need to add more young guys to this roster. They're already stacked to the brim with 21-year-olds and, and I think there's seven or eight guys in this roster that are 21 and under, 22 and under. So you definitely don't need to add guys that are under that age still. You can't have over half a roster like that. It's just not sustainable. And if they can just add one more piece, just one more piece through the draft and then push all those chips in for that guy, like a Luka Doncic or a Michael Porter Jr., whoever it may be, I think that makes a lot more sense than having a guy at number seven overall that's just a role player for you. Preach. Oh, my gosh. I'm so there. And if anybody could do it, McDonough can do it. I mean, if he can got a first round pick for, for Marquise Morris after whatever that happened, he got what it, it seems like two firsts basically for Dragic, Gordon Dragic and, uh, was able to, it's just, it's just crazy. So I think that I, that's a good, that's a good thing. I mean, he was able to do it for Chris and that was interesting, but people thought Chris would go four some, at some points and then they got Bender at four and then Chris at eight. Number eight. Eight. I, 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 I wasn't second guessing myself there, even though I knew it. Um, so, so yeah, they could definitely do that. I would, I mean, if they get, <laughs> if they get Luka Donich to go with this lineup and we're seeing Chris and Bender, Len and Jackson and Warren be this much better in a year, it's going to be pretty incredible. As I've been saying on the last several podcasts, what do you think about, like, it'll be very interesting to see what this team looks like, what the roster looks like with how the players are playing. Uh, after the trade deadline in 20. For sure. I mean, I think this team is probably going to add a top flight prospect. I mean, that's probably the path they're going to go down towards. But the summer of 2019, the, the trade deadline of 2019, whichever one you want to look at there, it's setting up around how the assets are playing out 2018, 2019, 2020, 2021, all these picks that McDonough has are all going to happen in the next couple of years. So that move is coming, whether it's this summer or next summer, or next trade deadline, a big name is going to be coming to Phoenix in some sort of capacity, I think. And however he plays his assets out, it's going to be very interesting for me because I feel like with how he's setting the, the books up right now, 2019 is going to be the year that you can possibly bring two max free agents alongside Booker and Jackson, all these names. So if 2019, they can show that this is a competent team and, they're one one big star away, and possibly two stars away. Phoenix becomes a destination in a one eighty type of way in two years. It's going to be pretty amazing. And then, like I've talked about, the the reputation of it not being a whatever. Sometimes people say not a player's team, or they're not they don't deal with players necessarily the best way. Winning helps that, 
I mean, like I've been saying, winning solves everything. Just ask the Chicago Bulls, Nikola Miritich, and uh, the other guy. Forgetting his name, of course, right now. But it's amazing. Winning cures everything. For sure. I mean, with this stretch, I mean, me and you both, uh, we didn't see we didn't see this stretch coming at all for the Suns over the last week. I mean, this is great to see from these young guys. It's amazing. Well, that was a really interesting podcast. Thank you so much. Um, why don't you plug everything you got going on, and we'll get out of here. Yeah, no problem. You guys can follow me on Twitter at Eastsidery at E S I D E R Y, and you can you can follow our work on Bright Side of the Sun. Dave King, Rod Argent, Keith Skeezley, Brennan Clean, all the guys over there. If I missed anyone, sorry. But as far as that, Bright Side of the Sun, you guys can follow all of our work over there, brightsideofthesun.com. Follow us on Twitter at Brightside Sun. And for that, there's gonna be a lot more fun content coming out on that site over the next few months, and I'm really looking forward to it. So far, I just recently got on the beat in the past six months. It's been so a lot of fun so far, and hoping a lot of it continues. Yes, yes. And also everybody, if you I think is the deadline up for the bright side of the sun night on Sunday? Yeah, we actually passed two thousand tickets. Thank you for bringing that up. We actually passed two thousand tickets, which is a record. The last time we the first year was eight hundred, then last year was twelve hundred, and all of a sudden we're over two thousand tickets now, which is pretty incredible that everyone's come together for just nine dollars to do all this. And a deadline is still going on actually. They with how with how amazing everyone's been doing this year, they pushed the deadline back until all the way until that final weekend. So you guys still have another another week to put in some tickets. It's only $9 to help send an underprivileged kid to their first ever, ever NBA game. So it's a pretty cool thing that we're doing. Definitely do that. I uh, got some tickets. I can't wait for to go. I get to get, go there to that game because of the tickets, and I can't wait to go. It's going to be so much fun. I can't wait to see the kids and see the game. It's going to be a great day next Sunday. Um, definitely go do that. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Eric underscore Saar, S-A-A-R. Um, I got plenty of podcasts coming up. We got a ton of them over the, over the last year and a half. Really ex- hope you check it out. We got Suns people, NBA people all over the place. Alan Williams, Eddie Johnson, tons of people all over the place. Also, I'm Impact certified. They help make Demarcus Cousins, Kawhi Leonard All Stars, uh, and I'm certified by them. I got some clients. It's called EliteHoopsDevelopment.com. If you're in Arizona and you want to get better at shooting, uh, come see me. Um, thanks again, Evan, and have a great day, everybody. Hey, you too, Eric. Appreciate it.